Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. You're like all passed out of sleep and stuff, right? Moms are like, when are you going to be done so I can go eat lunch? Because I'm not cooking today, right? Somebody else is cooking today. Um, but hopefully somebody's taking you out or loving you or caring for you, whether you have been a mom, want to be a mom, will be a mom, whatever role you are as a lady today, we appreciate you and honor you for uh, the, the specific responsibility God has given you. I remember when I was going through premarital counseling almost about 22 years ago, um, the guy that did that for my wife and I, Melissa, uh, he, he told me, he looked at me straight in the face and he told me, he said, here's the deal, here's one thing that you should never, ever, ever forget. There are two sets of plates. There are your regular everyday plates, like Corel. You know, you can just throw it around like a Frisbee. Not, nothing's going to happen to it. Nothing's going to break. It's fine. You use it. You throw it in the dishwasher. You wash it by hand. You toss it around. You let the dogs eat off of it. It's really no big deal, right? It's durable. And that's what you use every single day. And that's not your wife. There's a different kind of plate you use. And that's called China. And China is not any less important. It's actually more valuable. And it's not really necessarily weaker, it just needs more care and concern. You don't use it in everyday meals, you don't take it on a picnic, you don't let the dog lick off of it, you barely even let the, the kids touch it, right? And you don't let your husband wash it. You care for it with concern, by hand, gently washing it, stroke by stroke, and then sitting it out on display for other people to see. And I remember that 22 years later. That's who women are and ladies are, not necessarily weaker, but need to be cared for and loved and concerned and put on display, right? Ladies, you love it when your husband puts you on display in public for people to see, that he talks about you or talks of you or speaks of you in front of other people. And so, ladies, we appreciate you. We honor you. We know that God made you specifically in a way that uh, helps us as men, that we see the world differently than you, and we're thankful for the way that you see the world because we would ruin it in about 100 years. We would burn the whole place down. And so we are so grateful for you today. And I, I say that um, leading into this passage because this passage could be construed wrongly today, and I, I want to help... Uh, helpfully give it a, a correct view and understanding. So we've been in a series in Ephesians for about seven weeks. Uh, starting in February, we took a break for Easter to do an Easter series. And we're coming back this week and next week to finish up that series. So we'll be in Ephesians chapter 5. And if you've grown up in church before, you've studied the Bible before, you see Ephesians 5 and you go, uh-oh. This is not good. Where we're starting and where we're opening is not a good place. Well, let me give you a really quick background on the reason Paul, who's writing this letter, an apostle of Christ, he's writing this to a place called Ephesus. And Ephesus was kind of the crown jewel of, of all Asia Minor in that day. And it was a port city. It was a vibrant city. It had a lot of things going for it, an outdoor amphitheater that would host about twenty to 25,000 of their people overlooking the water. It also had a temple, the Temple of Artemis, which was this be big, beautiful place that was four times the size of the Parthenon. So it was considered one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. So they had a lot of affluence. They had a lot of uh, possibilities and they had a lot of things going for them in their city. And so because of this, because of influence, it was a breeding ground for idolatry. That happens in any place where there is affluence. We just start to idolize the things that we have and the possessions that we hold on to, the things that we can tangibly see. We start to idolize those things. For whatever reason, we want to have something to worship and something to value. And sometimes we create those things, whether it's a 401k or a relationship or a house or a business, whatever it is, whenever there's affluence, there's always idolatry following close behind it. 
Now, for us, probably the most prevalent source of idolatry is the idolatry of self. We might mask it with other things, and, and the people of that day were worshiping the goddess of Artemis because she could do things for them that they desired. So ultimately, they weren't worshiping Artemis, they were worshiping themselves because of what they could get from her. So the greatest sense of idolatry that exists in all of the world and all of mankind is the idolatry of self. And so that's why Paul, that's kind of the backdrop for which he's writing this entire letter and this entire book to the people in Ephesus. And so it's from that that he is writing this to them and for us to be applied today. And so he finishes this last section that we stopped a month or so ago with a transitional sentence and a transitional verse that takes us from the previous part to this current part we're going to look at today. And that's in verse 21. And he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so Paul is hoping and teaching for us as Christians, as believers, to have this new way of thinking, this new way of living, this new way of doing life. And so he wants to teach us this new standard, new culture, and new ethic for us. And the whole point of that is that we would have this growth in faith that would lead to maturity in Christ. So he, he goes back in verse 15 and he says this, look carefully, be careful how you walk, which walk simply means to live. So he says, you need to be careful because you're existing in a world where idolatry exists, where we want to satisfy, worship, and value ourselves. And so Paul says, now you have this understanding of who God is. You have this Savior in Christ that he is the one who we're to worship and give value to. So he says, be careful then. You don't walk and live in the way you used to. You now walk and live in the way that God has informed you and taught you. And he says, one of the ways for you and I to grow is to be in relationship with other people. You know this, you understand this. This is women, why we need you as our wives is because we cannot grow to our full potential, some of us, without you in our lives. If you've never been married before and you think, I got all this together, get married and you'll figure out the next day you ain't got nothing together, right? You got nothing figured out. And if you think I'm the most selfless person in the world, get married, then have a kid, and you'll realize you're the most selfish person that ever existed on the planet. And so we know for us to grow, God has formed us to be in relationship with other people. And that relationship really gives this birth and this growth when we ultimately submit to the other person. And we don't like to talk about that word. Submission is like the dirty little four-letter word in the church culture. Submission is one of those words we, we don't like to hear because what, when we hear the word submission, the connotation is somebody's going to tell me what to do. If I submit to you, you're going to tell me how to live my life. I don't get to make any more choices. I don't get to do anything that I want. My life is now over if I choose to submit to you. And so Paul says, if you really want to grow as a believer, if you really want to grow in your walk and your life and understanding of God, then you have to be in a relationship with other people, and that relationship has to be born and birthed in submission to one another. Because you and I can't see our own faults. And yes, submission does contain that idea of yielding to someone else's authority and influence in our life. It absolutely does. But submission is not, hear this, submission is not about control. It is not about giving somebody control of your life. Submission is not about someone telling you what to do and how to live your life. Submission is about concern. Submission is showing care for the other person. Ultimately, submission is about trust. Trusting that the other person that you're submitting your life to, that you're submitting your desires to, your wants to, is going to look out for your good and not for your harm. Submission is the word that we want to talk about. But submission is really the word that will bring about the most growth and maturity in our lives in ways we never could by ourselves. 
But there's a problem. There's actually two problems that we have. <clears throat> the first one is humankind. This is, this is the first problem. We, all, we are not good at trusting other people, right? Most of us, we're not good at that. We have an agenda or we have a question. We have a suspicion. We're not very good at saying, okay, whatever you want, whatever you desire, I'm going to trust you completely. We're just not very good at that as people. The second problem that we have is that we have a difficult time seeing our own inadequacies, right? Anybody with me? A couple of you. you. You got it. Like, you look in the mirror and you think, man, you look good. And you walk down the street and you think, I got this all together. And you don't realize your difficulties. You don't realize your weaknesses. Blind spots are called blind spots for a reason because you can't see them. And we all have them. Our cars have them. We, you think we would have perfected that by now. A vehicle that we've been working on for tons and tons of hours and years would not have any more blind spots. And we as people, you think existing for thousands and thousands of years, we wouldn't have any blind spots anymore. But we do. All of us do. And the problem is we need other people in our lives, trusted people, who will see those weak spots and blind spots, who will point those out to us with love and concern and care, not in a controlling fashion that says, I'm going to make you a robot and make you devoid of feelings and emotions, and I'm going to control you how I wish to. But we must submit ourselves to other people to say, I need you to speak into my weak spots. I need you to see the blind things that I cannot see because you care for me and you have concern for me. And in turn, I'm going to trust you that I'm going to listen to your voice. And here's the thing you have to know, and I've said it a thousand times and I'll keep saying it again. Not everyone should have influence in and over your life. In the world of Twitterverse and snaps and tweets and everything else that goes on, in the world of social media, not everyone has authority and influence over your life. What people say about you, for the most part, should not matter. However, there should be someone or more than someone who can speak into and over your life that you trust and will listen to and care about their influence over you. Because without submitting to someone else to see your weaknesses and your blind spots, you will never grow to maturity in ways that you think you, you will on your own. And so here's three things that I want us to look at, factors for growth. Before we get into the passage, because I want to lay kind of this groundwork and understanding before we get into this setting. So here's the first thing that we said. We cannot grow to full maturity without being in relationship with others. If you've ever tried to do it by yourself, you just can't. Try working out by yourself and 99% of the time it doesn't work. You need a partner. You need to be around other people. You need to go to the gym or have a trainer, someone who is going to push you because we typically don't push ourselves past the point of discomfort. The second thing that is needed for, for growth is that we need to allow someone to speak into and have influence over us. And none of us like for anybody to tell us what to do, but again, somebody has to. Somebody needs to be able to speak into your life. And the third thing is that submission is the posture that allows for this maturing. And when we put ourselves in this position to be teachable, to be coachable, to, to be spoken into, that's the point where we can grow and where we can expand our knowledge and our understanding in ways that we live our life. That's the posture and position we have to take for God to grow us in ways that we could not on our own. So with that understanding, before we get into this difficult passage and one that we really don't like and one we probably would like to rip out of our Bibles and one we probably shouldn't preach about on Mother's Day, with that understanding, Paul gives us three relationships, three family-type relationships that we have with one another that we experience, most of us, every single day. 
and how going into those relationships and submitting to one another leads to that growth as we build trust with each other. And so the first one, as you get your tomatoes ready to throw at me, the first one is within the marriage relationship. Now this one brings up a whole lot of emotions. And I know, especially in our day and culture, this is one that pastors probably would be better off just letting lie low and not preaching. Because you get a bad connotation for saying, well, you just want to order things so that males are in charge of everything. So there's a lot of emotion when we talk about submission within the marriage relationship. But what I want you to see is we're going to talk for three verses about what ladies are called to do within the marriage. And then we're going to talk about for nine verses what men are supposed to do. Because we're hard-headed, we're not as smart, it takes us three times as much to understand what our role and responsibility is. So let's look at this passage starting in verse 22. Wives, there's that dirty word, submit. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now watch this, not just carte blanche, but as you would to the Lord. This is important. Those words drive everything. We're not asking women, God's not asking women to submit just blindly or just because he's a man and you're a woman. But as is fitting to the Lord, as is to the Lord, because this is the way in God's design he ordered the family relationship and the family construct. For the husband is the head of the wife, not better, not greater, not smarter. We're definitely not smarter. Absolutely. Men, you with me? Like you're going to win points today raising your hand. Men, you with me? That your wives are typically smarter than you, okay? For the husband is the head of the house, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And it's not saying that men are the savior of women. That's very clear in that sense. Christ is the only savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives also should submit to their husbands in every single way. Now, here's the deal. Marriage was designed to be this perfect union, this perfect joining of husband and wife that was a reflection of God's love for us. There was supposed to be this beautiful picture, this bond of body, mind, and spirit. But unfortunately, from the very moment, from the day God created and designed marriage to be a perfect union, to represent and reflect himself and his love for his church and his people, we as people started to degrade and disintegrate the marriage relationship. It is not in our picture today completely the way God hoped and designed for it to be because we are sinful. Because we are broken, because we have messed up what he has designed, but it still has beauty in it because of the way God designed it and constructed it. But we have messed that up and it has been in danger from the day we first said, I do to one another. Whether that's throughout all of history or the day we stood before our spouse and said, I do. We have degraded and disintegrated the purpose of marriage because we're broken and sinful people. So... In the Jewish culture, when Paul is preaching this and when he is teaching this, this is not something that they thought of or not something that they lived out within their culture in their day because they too were weak and broken people. And so in the Jewish culture, the marriage union was in danger. It was being threatened. The whole institution was being threatened. And not just in the Jewish people, which the word of God was originally given, but it was in the Greek culture that it was starting to be degraded as well. Prostitution was rampant throughout the Greek culture and the Greek world, which did not elevate the view of women. This is one of the sayings that they had in the Greek culture, is that this is what they thought and believed about marriage and about women. Go ahead and go to that slide. This is what Greeks said. We have courtesans for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation, and wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and of having, having faithful guardian for all of our household affairs. So the Greeks had this different construct and this different view of women, this view that, hey, I'm going to find my pleasure somewhere else. I'm going to have this courtesan, this lady that I really, and I'm not going to ask anything else of, but she is going to submit to me fully and give me pleasure whenever I desire. 
And then I'm going to have this concubine who's going to live with me daily and we're going to have relationship and conversation. And then I'm going to have my wife who really is just there to run the household and to give me legitimate children. So the Greek view of marriage and relationship demeaned the, the view and the role or responsibility of women. That it did not view them as someone who was created beautifully as a piece of china that God wove, wove together and, and put every intent and purpose and love and design for. And, and not only was it bad in the Jewish culture and the Greek culture, but it was even worse in the Roman culture. This is what one of the Roman writers said about their view of, of women, their view in, in relationship with, with these ladies. Women were married to be divorced and divorced to be married. And so... When you hear Paul write, women, ladies, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, it's hard to receive that. I get it. I understand it because it seems sexist. Because the rest of our history and culture has lived and acted that way. But if you take those three views, if you take the Greek view of marriage and view of women, if you take the Roman view of marriage and women, and you take the Christian ethic view of women and marriage and put those three together, clearly the Christian ethic is a standard higher than any other of the other cultures and constructs in the world that we have ever known. Because the Greek culture says, I'm going to treat women however I want for my pleasure. I'm going to do whatever I want so that I get fulfilled in life using women to bring that satisfaction to me and the Roman culture says they'll just come and go it's not really a big deal I don't have much relationship with them I'm going to marry them for a season and I'll use them for however I however long I want and I'll get from them what I need and I'll just discard them and I'll divorce them very easily and I'll just get another woman to come in and give me fulfillment and satisfaction as well so when Paul writes this instructed by God he's not writing this to degrade women He's not writing this to say, sure, men, just continue this sexist view of life and you just treat women however you want. I made them just for your pleasure and so you just use them and discard them and degrade them. That's not what God says and that's not what Paul is saying in submitting to your husbands. Again, submission is not about control and authority. Submission is about concern and care for just like that fine piece of china that someone is going to care for and, and give love to it and delicacy to it and place it on a mantle for people to see and put it on display. And so what I want us to hear as we continue through this passage is submission is not a dirty word. Submission is not a bad thing. And if you've had a bad relationship in the past, look, I get it. I understand. I am terribly and gratefully or greatly sorry for what you have experienced and gone through. And it probably has tainted your view of God and tainted your view of marriage and tainted your view of men. And I wish I could apologize and heal all of your hurts. I really do. Because that's not the way God designed marriage to be. He designed for husbands to care for and love and have concern for their wives as they submit to God's role of his leadership in their life. And men, we'll get to our part in just a second, but here's what I want us to see is that the Christian ethic you cannot over-exaggerate the effect that it has had on the marriage life. Because if we had continued in the Greek culture, and we continued in the Roman culture, which we try to still today, women, the view of you would be even less than it is within the church culture and the church world and the Christian worldview. But with this new ethic and culture and understanding, 
it was meant to elevate the role of man and woman to speak into our lives and to give value to both of us as we're equally created by God in his concern and care and love for us as human beings. But the first thing we have to understand is that women and men too, that we're not submitting to our spouse first. We're ultimately submitting to God and saying that I trust you, I'm gonna give you influence over my life and authority over my life and I'm gonna trust that you are out for my good and not my harm, that you are concerned for my life. And so here's what I want us to understand about submission and trust. The currency of submission is trust. The only way we can submit to another person is if we feel like we can trust that they have our good at their interest. See, the economy of God is so different than the Greek and Roman culture. The economy of God is not one-sided. It's not balanced or tilted toward the benefit of mankind like the Roman and Greek culture was skewed toward men. The economy of God is designed for the growth of all mankind. Kind, which includes male and female, man and woman. God created us in his image, loves us, cares for us equally, just gave us different roles and responsibilities. And so the result of this trust, ladies, when you trust God and the design he has created in marriage and when you trust your husband, God's when we give them a reason to trust, then it allows for growth and maturity in ways that we could not do on our own. But husbands, hear this. Do not hear the Greek and Roman view of marriage and women. That they are there to do whatever you want them to do. That we kick back our feet, turn on ESPN and say, where's my dinner? That we don't live in that ethic and that understanding anymore. That with this standard that Paul is writing, he brings a new view of relationship and marriage. And so husbands, hear this. The goal of your wife's submission is not your pleasure or advancement in life but for the growth and good of your wife. The goal of your wife saying, I'm gonna trust God and I'm gonna trust you that you're looking out for me, that you're gonna care for me, that you're gonna hold me in your hand and you're gonna nurture me and speak into me and speak over me. Men, it's not so that you can treat your wives or women in general however you desire or wish but you've been given a responsibility that when God says, I'm gonna place this woman in your hands, not because she's weaker, not because she's less than, but when she submits to you because you give her an opportunity to trust you, your goal for the rest of your life is not for her to please you or to advance your position in life, but your responsibility is to provide an opportunity and an environment for her to flourish and to grow in ways she might not be able to on her own. You are directly tasked with being there to nurture her soul so that she can grow in faith and life with God. You with me? Everybody okay with that? Nobody's left yet? Okay, so let's get to the men. This is the more fun part, right? Ladies, you're like, yes, please move on to the men. Okay, so this is a little longer passage, so stay with me as we read this and we'll kind of break it down. 
So he goes into this part and he says, husbands, love your wives. Again, this is, this is that care and concern for one another. And we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church, which we'll get to in just a minute. And gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church, which is his bride, to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And he continues on in this, this passage. And he says, in the same way, husbands, you should love your wives. They should love their wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated himself or his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so he gives this, this role to husbands that we're to care for and to love and to provide concern for, to nourish, to cherish, to build up and to sacrifice ourselves for our wives. Now notice, if you want to get in the game of back and forth, husbands are not called to submit to their wives. And at first glance, that raises this brow of suspicion on this new ethic that Paul is writing. Well, wives have to submit to their husbands. Why don't husbands have to submit to their wives? That's not fair. And I get it. I'm not a woman, so I can't say it is. Or I'd get in trouble. What you need to understand, husbands and wives as well, that God has designed us with different roles and different responsibilities. And while the role of the wife is to submit to trust God and to trust her husband, the role of the man calls for the man to lose his life for her sake. And we're not talking about necessarily being a martyr or being a savior. But he says that we as men are called to lay ourselves down. He says this specifically, to give himself up for her, which is to offer ourselves, to sacrifice ourselves so that she can find joy and fulfillment within the marriage. Not as many pairs of shoes as she desires to buy, but joy and fulfillment. That she is fulfilled in being in relationship with this man. Again, not that he is her savior, but that he loves her, cares for her, treats her like fine gina, treats her like a valuable human being, like a creation of God, like a daughter of the king. That he wraps his arms around her, speaks into her, and brings her and builds her up in the ways that he speaks to her. That he, he gives her this opportunity to grow and to flourish. That we're called as husbands and men to lay our lives down, to sacrifice ourselves for the good of our wife. And you think, well, I'd rather submit than to, than to lose my life. I don't know which one's better. I don't know which one's easier because I only see it from one side. And maybe that's why I shouldn't preach this by myself. But husbands, the only way for your wife to learn and really want to submit to you is first she has to learn to, to want to submit and trust God. But physically, the only way for her to want to desire to submit to you is if she knows and you have proven that you can be trusted with her heart and with her life. Because that is the, the currency of submission. She will not submit if you have never given her reason to trust you. Now again, you can push back on this and say, this is sexist, this is elitist, I don't like the way God has set this up, but you cannot deny this is a clear improvement over the Greek and Roman view of marriage and women and relationship. Because the, the Roman and Greek view doesn't call for men to sacrifice themselves, it calls for men to sacrifice the women so that they can find joy and pleasure, whereas the Christian ethic reverses that and says that we are to lay our lives down so our wives can find fulfillment and joy within the marriage. And this, this sense of oppression and male tyranny is not found in submission in the Christian culture. That is not present, that's not the connotation, that's not what God or Paul is writing or desiring. 
That because God has given us this leadership role within our family and within the church and, with, and sometimes within the world, that we're not called to use that as an oppression against women. That's not our, our card to say, yes, male tyranny exists because God has given us an, an opportunity to do so. Instead, husbands are to sacrificially serve our wives and not, again, just carte blanche or however we want. Again, it goes back to doing this according to the ethic of God and the culture that God has designed and the standard of the Christian worldview. That we are to sacrifice ourselves as Christ has sacrificed himself for his bride, the church. Which means Jesus went all the way. All the way to the point of laying his life down to die so that his bride could find peace and freedom and hope and fulfillment. And the only way that, that Jesus could do that is because he trusted the Father. The only reason that Jesus could submit to the plan was because he trusted that God had the world in his interest at heart. And husbands, the only way our wives will ever submit to us and not for oppression and not for tyranny's sake, the only way they will even desire to is if we continually show care and concern for them and give them an opportunity and a reason to trust that we will care for them and help them find growth, maturity, and joy and fulfillment within this relationship with us. So he continues in verse 32 and 33. Because this is new, this is different from what the world had known. And sometimes different than what our world knows today. He says, this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so he says, this is a mystery and this mystery really is to show this physical marriage is to show this representation of how God loves us and how God loves his bride. That he loved us sacrificially and he served us in ways that, that we could never understand because we rejected him, we rebelled against him, and we pushed back on him. Yet what Christ did was to continually serve, continually sacrifice, continually love. And sometimes husbands, what we want to say is, well, when she starts doing the dishes, or when she starts showing up in the bedroom, well, then I'll give her a reason. The only way you and I can love our wives sacrificially is through the strategy and the reality of the gospel, which says that Jesus loved us even when his bride did not. That Jesus sacrificed for his church even when his bride rejected him and rebelled against him. And husbands, that's the length of, to which we are called to care for and have show concern for our wives. That even when they do not fulfill us, or satisfy us, or treat us in the way that we wish women in the Greek and Roman culture did, even when we are not fulfilled or satisfied physically, or our advancement in life, or they don't do things, or, or do chores, or things around the house that we wish they would do, and when they do, then we'll decide to give them concern and care. The gospel tells us, and this mystery tells us, that Jesus loved his bride even when she did not do or act the way that he wanted her to. And husbands, this is our calling and this is our role in life as men, as husbands, is that we're called to sacrificially love and care for and lay our lives down for our wives no matter what. It is not conditional because what God made with us is a covenant. And a covenant says, I'll keep my part even if you don't keep yours. It is not a contract or a promise that is broken. And when we enter into a covenant with our wives, we say, like Christ said to the church, I will love you, care for you, 
build you up, speak over you and into you and show care and concern for you even if you do not hold up your end of the bargain. And that's the basic essence of the gospel. That Jesus continually sacrificed himself for us even when we did not show him love or respect in return. And I'll tell you this, and I tell couples this all the time that are going through difficulty, especially the one that's wanting to quote unquote save the marriage. One of the hardest things you will ever do in your marriage relationship is to live out the gospel, which says, I will love you no matter what. I will care for you no matter how you respond. I will show concern for you no matter how you act toward me. And this new understanding, this new ethic of marriage and relationship elevates the view of men and women elevates the view of care and concern and changes the whole connotation of the word submission that takes it away from a negative aspect to one that says this is something that will build and grow me in ways I never could understand or do on my own. You with me still? You're like, let's just go to lunch, okay? You're wearing me out. Let me give you two more real quick. We'll go through these quickly. I just want to show you these other two relationships that Paul's speaking of. The first one is parental relationship. And so if you're a kid in here today, you're, all of us are kids probably still with our parents. And no matter how old you get, they're still your parent and they can still tell you what to do, right? Anybody with me in your 30s, 40s, 50s? Like your parents still telling you what to do. No matter you've been driving for 30 years and got 500 kids, all right? So in, in Ephesians chapter 6, this is what he says about the parent-child uh, relationship. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Again, there's that in the Lord part. It's all according to this new ethic of the Christian worldview. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. This is conditional. This is, you know, that statement like, you know, I brought you in the world. I can take you out, right? So he says, this is why you obey your parents, that it may go well with you and that may you live, that you may live long in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so we, we get this, we get this idea of submission that this makes perfect sense that every child should submit to their parents' guidance and rules and authority, right? We get that. Nobody wants to see a two-year-old running around doing whatever they want. We would all say that kid needs a spanking or timeout or whatever you want to get, whatever type of corporal punishment or discipline you want to lay out. Every one of us understands that children are to submit to their parents. And the reason they're to submit to their parents is so that their life may continue, because if a two-year-old runs around doing whatever they want, eventually they're going to run out in the street and get run over and their life's going to end. Literally, physically. And so God says you are to submit to your parents, children. You're to obey them and to honor them because they're looking out again for your care and for your concern. Submission, again, is not about authority and control. Submission is about concern and about care and about trust. And so we would all agree. Like I was telling my two-year-old, because none, none of us like to be told what to do. We don't like submission, we don't like authority, we don't like control, we don't like giving trust in those ways. None of us like to be told what to do. So I'm telling my two-year-old just this weekend, yesterday, don't stand in that stool, the bar stool, don't stand in that stool because you'll fall out and hurt yourself. And he's like, nope. <laughs> I'm like, all right, buddy, you know, daddy's still big enough, I can pick you up and I can put you down. Not literally, but like put you down in the floor. And so I'm standing there telling him, he's, he keeps trying to crawl up in the bar stool. And I'm like, no, get down. Because if you stand up, you're going to fall and hurt yourself. And what does the 11-year-old do? The 11-year-old looks at me and she goes, I won't. And I'm like, look, you're 11. You know this. You should know this. But even at 11, nobody wants their parents to tell them what to do. But we all agree in this relationship especially, submission is important for the good and growth and maturity of the child. But again, 
The ledger doesn't just weigh toward one side because God is fair, because God is just. He tells parents, specifically fathers, because we're bad at this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't beat them. Don't yell at them. Don't discipline them in ways that bring about shame in their life. Because if you do, what will they not do? They will not trust you. And if they don't trust you, they will not submit to you. And if they don't submit to your guidance and authority in their life, and they don't honor and respect and obey their parents, the verse says that if you do, your life will go well and you will live long days of your life. And so fathers, if we treat our kids in ways that they cannot trust us or respect us, then they will not honor us, obey us, or submit to us. And if they do not or cannot, we are setting them up to fail in life. And then the last one, the last relationship Paul talks about in this section is the workplace relationship, the employer-employee relationship. And this dynamic and this relationship really has been a tenuous, volatile relationship for all of history and all of mankind, right? This is one that you just hate your boss or you, you love your boss one day and you hate your boss the next day or, or vice versa. This is one that's been tough for us as human beings. And so he says this specifically about our relationship there in verse 5. He starts, bond servants, which is an employee in our day. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Again, there's that that dynamic, that it's always in the ethic and culture of the Christian standard and worldview, that you obey your master, you obey your employer as you would to Christ, not by the way of eye service or rolling your eyes and then talk about them behind their back as they leave, or as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, giving it to God as if you're working for God, which is what Paul says in, in uh, Colossians. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, that he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or whether he is free. Masters, again, because it doesn't balance just to one side. Masters, do the same to them, which is completely different. Completely different than the master-slave relationship in the past. And you say, well, God is just solidifying masters and slaves. Now, he's just talking within the worldview that exists today, but calls it to a different standard. He says, masters, you do the same to them, which you weren't called to do before. You could treat your employees, or you could treat your slaves, or you could treat your bondservants however you wanted to in the past. But this new ethic says, you do the same to them. And you can go back to that if you would. You do the same to them and you stop threatening them. You stop holding authority and control over them because submission is not about authority and control. It's about care and concern. You stop threatening them knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. And in this sense, God says that you are one and the same because you're both human beings. You're not better than someone else because you have a different position or role in life. You're not a greater human being because you have a title of vice president and they have the title of sales manager. That employees, you're to treat your employer, your boss, your supervisor, your superior as if you were working for God. And masters, you're not to use your position to to give control or exercise control over someone else's life. 
but to work in a way that, that helps them grow and flourish, that treats them in a way that's a human being because you have unity and oneness in Christ because God has created and designed all of us individually, respectfully with our personalities and traits and gifts, but all of us equal in love and concern and care. And so the Christian ethic calls us to a different standard that we treat one another with love and concern as we work together and learn to trust each other because we have this mutual respect because we are one in Christ and we're called to serve one another. And so what Paul says throughout all of this for us is that there's a new calling in our life. There's a new way that we treat one another. That if we want to grow to maturity, if we want to grow in ways that God has for us, that he calls us to a new standard and new relationships and a new way that we view people, And instead of struggling with the idolatry of self, which is what the Ephesians people, the people of Ephesus were struggling with, and honestly what we struggle with today, instead of struggling through the idolatry of self, trying to get for me and using people however I want so that I can advance in life or find fulfillment, we're in turn called to sacrifice ourselves, to serve other people, to love them as Christ loved and served us. So we go back to verse 15 and what Paul says, watch carefully, look carefully then how you walk. Be careful how you live. Be careful how you treat your spouse. Be careful how you speak to your children. Be careful how you exist in the workplace. Don't live unwisely. Don't speak as as the way the world speaks or secular culture speaks. But to live and to walk and to speak wise in this new Christian worldview that elevates the role of all men and women that shows love and concern and care to bring about growth and fulfillment and flourishment for all of mankind, especially those you are in close relationship with. You with me? You good? Nobody's gonna kill me today. Maybe not till I get home, right? All right, let's pray. Father, we, um, we know that sometimes there are difficult passages of scripture and there are difficult things to talk through and teach through and God, I pray that um, this morning that you would hopefully change our view or change our connotation of what it means to be in a relationship with one another, whether that's husband and wife or parent-child or employer-employee, that, God, you've called us into a new way of living, a new way of loving, a new way of serving other people. And I pray, Father, that husbands and wives leave today learning to submit and to trust you, that you want what's best for their life. And that they would take active ways that they could begin to love and and sacrifice for and serve the other. That they would view it in a way of of the gospel, not in a way of, of a contract. That if you do your side, I'll do mine. But in a covenantal way that says, I'm gonna love you and serve you and care for you no matter what you do because this is what my Savior Christ has done for me. And I pray that the church, that believers, people who say they love you and care for you, would start to display this new ethic across the world. That we would love one another, we'd serve one another in ways that are so countercultural that people have to question and sometimes maybe angry. That brings about emotion because it causes us to question and discern and look into how we're living and thinking about life on our own. But God, I pray that we would grab a hold of this new ethic that we would see this new standard as an improvement over all other cultures in life. That this is one that is built around ultimate love and concern, that is willing to sacrifice 
our life so that others might find it in return. And let us as husbands and wives, specifically husbands, display that love and concern and care for our wives today that models and exemplifies and patterns the way our Savior Christ continues to faithfully love us over and over and over again. God, thank you for women. Thank you for mothers. Thank you for a new standard that calls us to see them and love them the way that you have created them to be. God, we pray that we would honor them and honor you today. In Christ's name, amen.